words and what an appropriate prayer that we just sang. And I am restating those same phrases. God, would you speak to us today? Might your word penetrate past our minds, deep within our souls, and might you give us ears to hear. God, would you speak to our hearts? I have not a clue as to where every person here in this building or at home online, I don't have a clue as to where all of us are, really experientially, spiritually, we're all in various places, we all have various issues going on, various concerns, but you know them all. And I'm asking that you would take this this one passage of scripture, but you would make it individual, not radically different, but distinct to each need that you would speak. And 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 to use the same imagery of the song that your 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 word, your voice, your truth would pour down like rain, like the snow outside, that we would be washed, enabled to see and to hear, perhaps like never before. God, would you do that for us in this place, in our homes today? Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Make your way to chapter 6. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Make your way to chapter 6. to see the few of you here in the building. Really glad you're here because it's really hard to preach to an empty building. <laughs> so thank you for being here. And and if you you uh, your neighbor starts to fall asleep, nudge him and say, Amen! And I say, okay, okay. We're, we're getting somewhere. For all of you at home, glad that you're worshiping with us online. There are more of you on the sofa than in the pew today. Not that, not that we measure our, ourselves by those things. We do not, but I'm, I'm glad that all of you in your various places are here with us. I want to get started quickly here. And uh, we, we've got, as I always do, give us too much to cover. All of it is essential. Uh, pray for me because I'm going to get stuck somewhere and, and uh, we got to keep moving. We look at the first of seven great I Ams, and they're all in the Gospel of John. But they originate in the book of Exodus. If you have a bulletin in front of you, uh, you, you have some printed notes there, and you can follow along that real quickly. If you're at home, you, I think you can find this on the church website. So you, you remember Moses has been called of God to go deliver Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And so Moses says to God, burning bush and even later encounters, okay, when I get there, and, and what, what am I going to say, who sent me and why am I here? And God's answer to Moses was, you tell them that I am sent you. And God refers to himself in this ever-present, beyond the limitation of a person, the I am, the ultimate essence, the 
this all-inclusive singular statement without any expected definition. I am. It's, it's like creation. In the beginning, God was already there. And he simply spoke. And Moses, you go tell them that I am has sent you. Now Jesus picks up on that same essence, and that should not shock any of us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Well, Mark doesn't. Matthew and Luke give us a biological, genealogical chart of, of Jesus, the birth of the baby. And one emphasizes he comes from Adam. Luke says he came from Adam. Matthew tells us that he came from Abraham and King David. So he's a Jewish king. But, but Luke says, but he is a man. He's God who took the flesh. And all of this has great significance. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He doesn't give any sense of genealogical background, spiritual, biological. He simply says, this is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the expression, the Word of God. He was with God, he is God, and that Word became flesh in the incarnation of Bethlehem. That's where John begins his story, his, his gospel to us about the origins of Jesus. But now Jesus picks up this, this phrase that Moses is using, I am, and he uses about himself now because Jesus is God in the flesh. And, and the great I am who sent Moses is now taking the flesh and is walking amongst us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And we're looking at the first of those seven, sort of, kind of. Real quickly, I've listed them for you. Chapter 6, he's the bread of life. Chapter 8, the light of the world. Chapter 10, the door of the sheep. Also in chapter 10, the shepherd of the sheep. Chapter 11, the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, I am the true vine. And then while those seven phrases are used as a metaphor, I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this, this morning I am bread. He uses the phrase two more times, but without a specific metaphor. They were talking about Abraham, and Jesus, well, let me tell you, before Abraham was, I am. I have always been here. I am here now in the flesh. I will always be here. I am the eternal creator, redeemer, God. And I precede Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and King David. I am. And then the last time he uses that language is in chapter 18. It's right before the crucifixion. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has already betrayed Jesus. The soldiers have come to arrest Jesus. And Judas tells him, you'll find him in the garden. He's over there praying, go get him. And sure enough, they go to the garden, and, and they're looking around, and they run up to Jesus. And they've got this look, like, I'm looking for someone. And Jesus, who are you guys looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. It's that Jesus who is God in the flesh, the eternal, original being, God, who says to us in chapter 6 this morning, 
I am the bread of life. Now here's the context in which it comes. So I, I said we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life, sort of. And, and here's what I mean by sort of. We will. You'll catch the point that Jesus is, is what we feed on. You, you'll catch that. But there's so much more going on. And, and it's, it's, I want you to back up, broaden your perspective, and, and, and see the bigger picture here. As much as he is the bread of life, there's, there's, there's more than just that happening in this chapter. And that's what I want you to catch. The sense of our own inabilities and how God intervenes and speaks to all of those impossibilities for us. Here's what I mean. The chapter opens up with the case of feeding the 5,000. So this huge crowd, 5,000, probably that means just men. And it may have been total number, but it could have been as high as men, and assuming that most were there with a the spouse, and they had one or two children, this number could go to 15, 20, 25,000 or more. This is a massive crowd of people. And catch what happens in verse 5 and 6. Chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Lifting up his eyes, seeing the large crowd that was coming toward them, Jesus said to Philip, Hey, that's my translation. <laughs> Where, do, we have, do we have enough money? Where are we going to get the money to buy bread for all these people? It would be inhospitable for us to, to all these people who come to hear me preach. And evidently, I, I love this assumption, he don't preach long enough that it's going to be past lunch. You've got to feed these people. <laughs> hey, fella. Check with Judas. Judas was the treasurer. Always carried the bag. The Gospels tell us. Do we have enough money? To, someone's got to go buy food for all these people. And so he poses this cultural, ethical dilemma. We can't turn these people away. That would be ignorant and inhospitable. We, 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 don't, want to, we, we, we don't want to do that. We, we need to feed them. They come to listen to me and, and, and to engage with us. We've we got to take care of these people. Well, what are we going to do? Now, read a bit more. Read a bit more. He says this in verse 6, to test him. He knew what he was going to do. Don't miss verse 6. And don't miss the probability that Jesus is still doing that in our lives. Now, I'm not telling you I've ever had a, a visual or, or an auditory conversation with Jesus that I saw him and I heard him in my ear. But there have been scores, scores of encounters where I'm certain the Holy Spirit was just whispering or shouting in my spirit, hey, what are you going to do? And I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And God says, yeah, I, I, I know you don't know. And I want, to, I want to accentuate the fact that you don't know what you're going to do and watch what I do for you. Right. That's right. I want you to catch this impossibility. And, and then you know the rest of the story. They found out more than some lunch. Jesus prayed, blessed the lunch. It fed the huge crowd and had enough for each of the apostles to take some back to their families. So there's that. The next little paragraph, that day is over. And they're going to cross back over the Sea of Galilee back to Capernaum, which is Israel proper. So they've, they've crossed the sea and they're on the 
would be the eastern shore. And, and now nighttime has come and they're going to cross back over. And you know this story as well. If you know anything about the Bible, been around Sunday school at all, heard some Bible stories in your life. So when it's time to cross back over, Jesus has gone up to pray. Get some, some time alone with the Father, and, and, and he's praying. And so the disciples, this is not a, a, a rude or, or out of ordinary practice. Okay, he told us to go. We're going to go, and he'll catch up. So they get in the boat, and they go, and Jesus will follow. And indeed, he does follow. Not like he would typically follow. But during the night, a tremendous storm. Read it in verse 17, 18, 19. Verse 18, the sea is rough, strong wind. They had rode about three or four miles, and they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Were they frightened because of the storm? Were they frightened because, holy smoke, you know, pun intended, someone's walking on the water? They were frightened. And please don't sit in your pew or recliner or dining room chair in coffee thinking, I would have been frightened. Please. Stop. That's right. The point is that I, I think John is telling us this story not only to maximize Jesus as the bread of life, but, but to make us see that we just don't see it. We, we just don't get it. We're, we, we panic, but we can't feed all these people. And, and God feeds the people. And oh, oh my God, we're, we're going to die. We're, there's, a, there's a storm and, and we're going to die. And then, and then Jesus shows up and says, no, you're not going to die. You can't provide for yourself the way you think you can and want to. And you can't protect yourself the way you think you can and, and want to. So this is why we say to our kids, well, if you get a good education, and, 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 and get a good, but you're going to get a better job. If you get a job, you make more money, you can make more money. You can provide better, and you can protect better. And, and we live with this myth that if I try hard enough, and work hard enough, and learn enough, and, and network enough, and make these connections, that I'll get enough money, and I'll have a great job, and I'll have enough relationships that I can provide, and I can protect, and I'll be secure. And God is always saying, well, if you think that, it's, it's like now you challenge me to show you there's there's a limit on what you can provide. And there's a limit on how much you can protect. And I will take you to a place where you can't provide. And I will take you to a place where you can't protect. And you will be forced to acknowledge, you know, only God can provide for me. And only God can protect yeah. me. Yeah. And that's what I think the chapter is about. I'm not saying that Jesus being the bread of life is... Ancillary, that is secondary, that is, it's just a tag along kind of a secondary point. No, but, but you don't see that truth until the context is painted that I need something to eat. I'm hungry in my life. Not for natural food, but for answers, for meaning, for, for significance, for purpose, for hope. It gets us to the place that we acknowledge I, 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 I did, I went to college, I went to trade school, I, I got a good job, I'm making a lot of money, but there's some things I can't do for myself or my family. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then God says, good, I'm glad. Now let's talk. Now, now let's talk. That's what I think is going on in chapter 6 and pretty much all the Bible, by the way. I'm not minimizing these stories of these events. But it's not enough just to get the facts of the story and tell a good story. What does the story mean to us? Let me show you more of what I think is going on here. So starting in verse 22, he's teaching again. And, and a crowd has gathered, not as large as before, but you see it in verse 22. In fact, it was much of the crowd from the day before that he fed them miraculously with the boys' lunch. They've also crossed the Sea of Galilee, and they're back in Capernaum. And, and uh, they say, hey, Jesus, uh, we knew when the disciples left, the apostles, and, and, and we saw a few other boats, us and a few others. When, when did you get over here? When, when did you get over here, Jesus? And which I have is in verse 26. Truly I say to you, truly I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw all the signs, not because you ate food yesterday from one boy's lunch that miraculously was multiplied to feed thousands of people. You're not here because you're convinced that I am God in the flesh. You're not here because you saw a miracle and only God can do miracles, so you're here to pursue me because you're, you're starting to think, maybe he really is God in the flesh. No, that's not why you're here. You're, you're not here for that reason, but rather, last line of 26, because you ate your fill of the loaves. That was a pretty good meal. Let's do it again. Some people are very interested in Jesus. Not because they want to worship Jesus. Not because they're looking for Jesus to do for them something they can't do for themselves. Whether it's provide or protect or get me into heaven. A lot of people are pursuing Jesus. Not because they want some eternal, miraculous, spiritual benefit. I'm looking for a better spouse. So, I've, you know, I met all kind of women in those places. Maybe I find me a different kind of woman, I'll go to church. Find me a different kind of woman in church. Or maybe I'll find this in church. Or maybe I'll find this in church. Back in the 70s, I'm not making this up, this guy came to church and he was energetic and he's, he's, he just acts like he's all in, he's all in. And no pastor, what about this? What about this? Oh my goodness, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. Blah, 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 blah. And about six weeks, two months in, it became apparently clear he's, he's, he's doing Amway and he needs people to buy in. And not here to worship at all. And Jesus is making the same point in verse 26. So he makes a statement, builds a bridge. Don't labor, don't labor for the food that perishes. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Oh, do you see where he's going? This is why he refers himself as the bread of life. You catch it? Verse 27 is the key. Don't labor for food that perishes. Labor for food that endures to eternal life. Right. It's the same, same essence, different language for Jesus at the woman at the well. He gives her natural water. And then he starts talking about eternal, spiritual water. It's a metaphor. He's always taking us to the eternal, to the divine, to the holy. We think 
think Jesus just gives us good morality, makes us respectable in the culture. Jesus is literally trying to get the hell out of us and get his righteousness, heaven, into us. So you guys are here, back to the text, because you had a free meal yesterday, you're looking for another free meal today. I know you wouldn't expect Jesus to say things like that. And he didn't say it as, as harshly as I just said, but, but that's his point. Verse 26, he introduces the idea of, of spiritual bread, eternal bread. He's not talking about communion. Oh my goodness, there's nothing about a ceremonial religious process here at all. If anything, in a, in a metaphorical sense, he's talking about ingesting Jesus. That, that I come into your life like bread or water or light. And then the question comes to me, well, what, what must we do? Okay, so, so what must we do to, to be doing the works, the works of God? Okay, so okay, now you, you know what's in their mind. Even before I suggest what I think is in their mind, you already. So he said, "You're talking about natural bread. I'm, I'm talking about spiritual bread. You're talking about bread that, that satisfies you for a few hours till the next meal time. I'm talking about bread that satisfies you for for eternity. That's clear. They don't see that, and so they say, "Well, what?" What works, and they move from bread to the word works, what works should we be doing? And here's my assumption. You're going to draw your own, but I, my guess is we're not that far apart. You, you, oh, you, you, because this is a Jewish community, this is a Jewish crowd. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, so a lot of us fellas, we, we didn't get circumcised. So should we should get circumcised? Oh, yeah, I, I got circumcised, but I, I almost never go to, go to the temple. She only go to the temple? And, and I do go to the temple when it's local, but, but those, those feast days that I actually have to go to Jerusalem, I, I usually don't do that. So you only start doing that? So, so what do you want me to do? You want me to do this? You want me to get more serious about keeping the commandments? What, do you, what does he want us to do? Because that's everyone's question. What do I have to do? If, if, if I pray this prayer, can I get to heaven? What if I pray this prayer 13 times? What, what, what's the level? What's, what's the minimum requirement? Where's that tipping point that, okay, I'm in? What do I have to do? It's, it's not really a horrible question, but it's a question that's rooted in, there's obviously something I could do that, 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 that gets me in. Tell me what that is. Here's the answer. This is the work of God. Verse 29. This is the work of God. Now notice that he's shifted slightly, but it's still significant, from the word works. What are the works of God? And everything about things, 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 things. He says, this is the work of God. And don't, don't read past that too quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the brakes here. This is what only God can do. This is the work of God. You're trying to impress me or to appease me with your works. I, I, I quit beating my wife. I quit beating my children. I started taking out the neighbor's trash. I quit stealing stuff from work. 
I stop this, I stop that. I'm a good boy now. Do you, do you sense that I'm mocking that? As if there's something, there's some level we could achieve that I finally made it on my own? That I achieved holiness, righteousness, just by my earnest college effort? What are the works that we should be doing? And his answer is, if I'm understanding it at all, there's no works that you could be doing. Here's what I can do for you. I can open your eyes. I can take away your spiritual blindness and give you spiritual sight. I can, I can take away your spiritual deafness and enable you to hear spiritually, metaphorically, comprehend what I'm saying to you. This is the work of God that you believe. Well, Pastor, wait a minute. I think, I think you just said that I can't believe on my own. Ah, you're getting it. <laughs> you're absolutely getting it. I'm not saying that we were we are unengaged puppets here. No, no we're, we're very much involved in this. But let's get this clear. Coming to faith in Jesus is a supernatural, miraculous event. And as God intervenes, you will never achieve it on your own. There are no, not enough, works that I could do. Isn't this what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the work of God. For by grace, grace, grace is what we don't deserve. Grace is the gift that's given to us. I don't deserve to be forgiven, but he gives grace. But you can't hold grace as long as you're holding on to your works. To hold, to embrace grace, to, to, to draw grace to your chest, to, to, to hug grace, to embrace it and pull it to you and cling to it and say, this is my hope. This is my security. This is my guarantee of heaven. Grace! Grace! To hold grace, you, you, you're going to have to let go of your effort. It's, it's right here in this verse. Where we are, that I'm stuck now. Verse 29. <laughs> this is the work of God. Yes. To believe. Well, what are we, puppets? No. We're not mindless, unengaged, mechanical puppets. No. But to embrace the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh, who has no eternal being and has no e e e eternal end uh, beginning and no end that he's always been and he took the flesh because we didn't listen to all the prophets and the kings and all that came before Jesus so God himself comes that he would live a sinless life offer up that sinless perfect life in substitutionary payment for my sin he's not paying for his sin he's paying for my sin He's the ancient Hebrew Passover lamb. That a lamb is slain. And, and, and that lamb pays for our sins. But that's just a picture of the ultimate lamb, Jesus, who came. To believe that? To embrace that? Oh, something supernatural has got to happen inside your soul. That's right. That's right. Something holy and divine that goes beyond natural comprehension. I'm not saying that Christians are stupid. 
or elementary. But there's an eternal spiritual dimension to this that unless God unlocks for us, we will always be confused. Yeah. And we'll see that as I get going here. <laughs> this is the work of God. By grace, you're saved. Your faith is not of yourselves. It's, it's, it's the gift of God. It is not of works. It is not of works. It is not of works. Do, 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 do I work to please God? Absolutely. But I'm not trying to get anything. I'm working because I've already got everything. I've got everything. I'm, I'm, I'm look, if, if Think about any, any of your relationships. If you're doing whatever you're doing to get something, then you're always going to be doing because you're always going to be wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Does she really like me? Is he going to keep putting up with me? Is is There's that uncertainty that just nags away at us. But once there's grace and we're thoroughly convinced of grace, there's this exhale of relief, not laziness and disinterest. In fact, if anything motivates me, compels me, it's it's not, you know, you ain't doing enough, you ain't doing enough. Well, good Lord, how much is enough? Quite the opposite. When when grace overtakes me, oh oh my goodness, could I ever stop saying thank you for this? Could I ever stop saying thank you for this? Works are involved in the Christian life, but it's not to get anything. It's because we've already got everything. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. We can't even believe unless he does his work. Right there in verse 29. Verse 30, 31, 32. They go back to, well, give us a miracle. This is still the Jewish community he's talking to. Give us a miracle, so then do us... Because they're so thinking, works, works, do a, do a miracle like you did a miracle yesterday. Do you know? Show us something. For instance, for instance, and they give Jesus an example. Our ancient ancestors, Moses gave them a miracle, and the bread, the bread fell from heaven. The bread fell from heaven. And Jesus says, "You're right. Good illustration. The bread did fall from heaven." But let me tell you, it wasn't Moses that did that. God did that. And oh yeah, by the way, God is my father. I am God's son. I am God in the flesh. Moses didn't do that. God did this. Now 33, 34, the bread of God is he. The bread of God is not man. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. 34, they said, give us that. Oh, we want that bread. Give us that bread. Absolutely. I'm down with that bread. I want all that bread. Jesus says, I am that bread. I am that bread. You want that bread? Here I am. I am that bread. You ask for a miracle? Here I am. I am that bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say it to you, you that have seen me, and still you don't believe. You saw the miracle yesterday. You didn't see 
be calm the storm, but ask the apostles, they'll tell you. And here you are this morning, one day later, asking for another miracle. It's never enough. If that miracle didn't help you see and comprehend, what, what makes you think another one will? Is there some magical number? There's a tipping point? Now, here's the deal. You see me, 36, you still don't believe. Here comes 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. First they ask, well, what are the works of God? What should we be doing? And he said, well, the work of God is that you believe. And you can only believe when I intervene and open your eyes. Well, what about this bread? And he says, I, I am this bread. And when the Father speaks to your soul, when the Father captures your hearts, verse 37, all that the Father gives me, they're the ones that will have their eyes open. They're the ones that see. They're the ones that comprehend. They're the ones that yes, 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 Jesus is the way. I believe this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. I see if I say, you know, again, we're, we're just puppets. No, we're not puppets. I know when I came to faith in Christ, I wanted desperately. I wasn't looking for a miracle. I, I wasn't looking for another sign instead of another sign, and then a sign after that, and oh, I'm getting closer. Give me another one. No, I desperately knew that, that there was something blocking my intimacy, my, my, my free and absolute access to the living God. And it was my sin. And I knew how to get rid of my sin. And I tried to be a better, good little boy. There was always this, this nagging, not enough, it's not enough. Better than you used to be, but you're not holy, you're not clean. Not enough. And God's grace, God's grace comes. And there was this, this, this deeper desire. The desire was in play. I, I, I'm trying to find God. I'm searching for God. But, but this is the work of God that I would believe. This is the gift of God that I would come. That's, that's the language here. Verse 29. It's, it's, it's enabling us to see, to believe. He opens our mind. And, and here, he, he frees us to go, to pursue, to, to come. All the Father gives me will come to me, and we will never be cast aside. Never. Never. Oh my goodness, never. He keeps on the same point, verse 38. I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all he has given me but raised them up. The resurrection of the last day. Do you ever wonder about, oh, I have to keep, I have to keep trying, I have to keep working. I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose. I, I don't want to fall back. I don't want to lose. I can't keep myself. 
He has the power to keep me. That's right. That's right. All that the Father has given him, he will lose none of us. He will lose none of us. Look, here's, here's, there's 10,000 levels of confusion, and I'll start to sum this up in a bit. But here's one area of, of major confusion. Because we think in terms of fairness and human logic. That's the way we think, the way we work. And we want God to work that way. But God is not bound by our logic. Praise Him for that. And our sense of fairness. So, King David, who has a heart for God, King David is guilty of adultery and murder. And, and yet the scriptures are explicitly clear that he belongs to God and he will be with us in eternity. Judas, we're about to see in the end of this chapter, Judas, from the compilation of what we know about him in the scriptures, he just loves money. He just loves money. And so much so that when push comes to shove and, and it, it begins to, I don't think he really is the Messiah. I'm looking for someone with military, political power to get rid of the Romans. So he's, he, uh, I was wrong. He's not the guy. And, and, and I'm going to betray him. And oh, by the way, I'm going to get some money. So he'd been stealing from the treasury. Remember when Jesus said to Philip, do you have enough money to buy food for Oh, Judas was holding the bag. He'd been stealing all along. And at the very end, he betrays Jesus. And the Bible's clear. We'll see at the end of the chapter that God has never known Judas. God has not given him eyes to see, ears to hear. He has not drawn him with grace. Judas is, is, is on his own. And our friends say, wait a second. Well, I don't think that's right. David commits adultery and murder to cover up his adultery. And he gets forgiven. And, and poor Judas, you know, got suckered in. That guy's all greedy. And kill a body. And think about his wife. Come on. There's the fairness. Well, you're right. If, if we're dealing with fairness, then, then I, I, who, who, who goes to heaven and who doesn't? And, and what, what's your tipping point for fairness? And as long as you want to make your argument about fairness, let, let's say, let me ask you, is it, is it fair that the perfect Son of God takes your sin and pays for your sin and you get set free? You're okay with that injustice? But not all the others, what you think is, well, I, I can't go with God, but he ain't fair. I'm glad he's not fair. I'm glad that everything is based on grace. That everything is based on grace. And I've raised a, a, a little snag here, and I'll speak to it and remind me Here's what I know explicitly, irrefutably, undeniably in all the scriptures and all of human experience. Here's what we will never find, neither in heaven nor in hell. We won't find anyone in heaven kicking their feet, terrible look on their face, disgruntled, upset, murmuring and complaining. I can't believe I'm up here with all you Christians singing and praising God. This is the last place I want to be, but here I am. 
Because God drug me up here by His grace. <laughs> and conversely, you won't see the opposite in heaven.
Don't grumble, because they're confused. Ah, uh, this all makes sense. He's crazy. Hey, that doesn't make any sense at all. And that's our natural response. If it doesn't make sense to me, then you must be crazy. The problem can't be with me. The problem has to be with God. Or whoever's telling me about God. Because it doesn't make sense to me. If it doesn't make sense, well, of course, it's crazy. And that's the response here in verse 43. They begin to go, wow, talking about eating bread and the father and, and he's crazy. I just I just want to know what I have to do. What's what's the minimum expectation? What's the goal? I'll hit the target and I'm in, right? And he dances all around this other symbolic stuff. Just give me a straight answer, would you? Wow. Stop your grumbling, 43. No one can come to me unless the Father sent me. Draws him. There it is again. Spiritual intervention is essential. I'm not telling you that Christianity is for stupid people. I wrestle with this stuff. I, I, I compare scripture with scripture, original language. What is it saying? What does it mean? What does it mean? There's, there's academic exercise going on here. But do you think that people figure this out just because they're smarter than the next guy? They have some, some, some deeper, higher IQ? No, it, it, it's right here in, in the scripture. It's, it, it, it's right here. Unless the Father draws him, he not come to me. Well, that doesn't sound fair. And we've already touched on that. I tell you what it is, it's love like you've never known love. Yeah. See, we, we get all upset when the Bible displays the wrath of God. And I keep giving you this illustration. It's it's Noah and the ark. I can't believe God destroyed everybody. That's cruel. That's barbaric. That's you know God would do that. But that, that's only half the story. Broaden your perspective, and, and here's what God did before the flood came. Before the flood came. 120 years before the flood came, Noah began to build the ark, and he began to explain to people every day while he's building the ark, this is what I'm building. I'm building this ark. It's going to hold animals, and it's going to hold people. And it's huge, and it's massive. In fact, by the way, there's a model of it. You don't believe me? Go look at it in Kentucky. It's massive. And I'm going to build this ark. And the ark is to save us from God's judgment. He's going to send rain. Rain. What's rain? End of a rain. We're going to talk about rain. Well, it, it's, it's water from beneath and from above, and it's going to drown us all because we're wicked and we're sinful, and we've rejected God, we've cursed God, we think we got it on our own, and we didn't, and, and we've totally eliminated him from our thinking, and, and so he, he's making us see, you can't live without me. You need me. I created you, and now I'm going to save you, even though you've cursed me, think I don't exist, mock me all the time. I'm going to save you. Here's the ark. When, when, when I'm telling you the judgment is coming, get in the ark and be saved from my own wrath. I will save you from myself. Because God is both just and merciful. You think that's not fair? I think that's very fair. God is just. 
And it's right that he chastises us. You'll chastise your children. I'm not suggesting you would abuse your children. You don't chastise your children. Even if it's as passive as, give me your phone. <laughs> Which is kind of nothing. But at least it's better than punching them square in the face. <laughs> you, don't, you don't chastise your children. You don't, you don't expect to get pulled over by the state troopers when you're doing 85 in the New Jersey Turnpike. That's not unfair. That's structure and order and safety in a culture. You just can't go in your neighbor's house and snatch up her daughter and have your way. You, you, no, you can't do that. And if you do, there's consequences for that. That's not being unfair. It's being just. God is just. But he isn't just just. He's merciful. And for 120 years, for 120 years, Noah's preaching. Put your faith in God. He's provided a way of escape. But he's stupid. You're crazy. Okay? And then the flood came, and you encounter people all around the world, this country and others. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm crazy about this Christian God. Destroy everybody. Noah's day. That's cool. You see the whole picture? It was mercy. There was grace. And they said, no, no, right. Okay. Okay. And here's Jesus. I am the bread of life. Uh, yeah, quit talking in circles. Come on, just tell us what religious things should we do. I told you to believe. Well, yeah, everyone believes. Well, you don't. Listen to what he says in 44 and 45. Stop grumbling, 43. You can't come unless the Father draws you. I will raise him up. It is written, he quotes from Isaiah, verse 45. They will all be taught by God. They will all be taught by God. Those to come, they will be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from me, they're the ones that the Father will bring to me. They will all be taught. Jesus is teaching. And some are here. And some are saying, he's crazy. And nothing has changed from Noah's day to Jesus' day to today. Somebody somewhere is explaining the scriptures. And some will say, that's crazy. That's crazy. And others are saying, no, for the first time I like that, it makes perfect sense to me. Where are you? That's the big question. Where are you? Let's finish up. In verse 52, the Jews are still grumbling. They disputed amongst themselves, saying, <coughs> Talk about giving us his flesh to eat? We're not, we're not cannibals. This is crazy talk. Because they're trying to understand spiritual things with the natural mind. So that's, that's the Jewish community in verse 52. But it gets worse. Look at verse 60. Many of his disciples, that's not the 12 apostles, although we're going to get to them too. Many of his disciples heard it. They said, this is a hard saying. And some of the things I've said to you this morning, you, 
Pastor, that sounds hard. That's kind of, I don't, that don't, I'm not, that didn't, that's not nice. We like nice. <laughs> Be nice. Come on, Pastor. Oh, the point is that we are dead in our trespass and our sins. I, I keep telling you that, so, so let's just happen to say, I die first. And, 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 my big rule is fun. Just don't bring your boyfriend to the funeral. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm in the casket. I'm in the casket. And, and Carm walks by. Here's what won't happen. I, I won't smell her perfume. I won't see her brown eyes. I won't hear her tender voice. I won't respond at all to the woman who has captured my earthly existence. I won't respond at all. You know why? Because I'm dead. <laughs> and you know why people don't respond to Jesus? Because they're still dead. Yeah. And it's the grace of God that comes and begins to quicken, make us alive. That's the truth. Listen to that. That's the truth. That's the truth. Listen to that. Listen to that. And some are in the crowd. And they're hearing Jesus. And they say, Okay. Now the good news is, the good news is, that most of us who are now alive to Christ, we used to be in that other crowd. That's crazy. That's crazy. We were like the people in those days. Shut up. Right? I ain't never in before. You're crazy. And the Spirit just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And at some point, he said, Yeah, wait a second, I'm, I'm rethinking this. Maybe that's not crazy after all. But here's the truth I must tell you this, this drawing, this, this work of conviction, this speaking to our souls, back to the era of Noah's day. The Spirit of God says, my spirit, God says to know, my spirit will not always strive or draw. There will come a point that's okay, I'm done. Like a parent says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. And they get older, they become teenagers, they get in their 20s, and they never stop doing that. Now they're in jail. Well, now you're in jail. And I'm not here to talk to you. And now you're on your own because you've cut off all efforts to help you. And the sad truth of this whole biblical story is at some point God says, okay, I've given you light this way, this way, this way, this person, this person, this person, this source, this source, this, I've given you all this light and you've mocked it and cursed it. Okay, I'm now withdrawing my light. Because his spirit will not always strive with us. Seek to the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Is God drawing you these days? Don't run away. Don't run away. Ask questions. Dig deeper. Get clarification. Get confirmation. Verse 52, the Jews are disputing. Verse 60, even the disciples are disputing. And Jesus 
Jesus, knowing that they are grumbling, says, in verse 61, you offended by this? What if you were to see me, the Son of Man, going up to heaven, coming to the back I came from heaven, I'm going back. You, you, you don't understand that. What if you were to see this? It is the Spirit, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. Look at the second phrase of verse 63. The flesh is of no help at all. I'm not saying that our minds aren't engaged, but our minds are enlightened on a spiritual level. Christianity is not a stupid man's religion. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, mind, and strength. We don't check our brain at the door. God speaks to us incomprehensible. He speaks English. He speaks Arabic. He speaks... Is there any language that he doesn't speak? No, there's not. He engages us. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. Christianity is not for fools, old women and children. We wrestle. We, 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 we try to take these amazing, tremendous, divine, holy, supernatural truths and, 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 and bring it to a level that, that we can understand in our limited comprehension. We wrestle with this stuff. This is my life. I, I, I love that process. We don't check our brain at the door. But working your way into heaven by the power of the flesh, give me a job to do. When we get baptized, okay. You want me to pray that prayer? I'll pray that prayer. So the flesh is of no help at all. Coming to faith in Christ, the flesh is of no help at all. You've been born of the flesh, he said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to be born of the Spirit. Spirit that gives life, 63. The flesh is of no help at all. Skip to verse 65. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by me. That is not an act of unfairness. It's an act of his justice at his appointed time. He'll not always strive with us. If anything, it is an act of abundant grace. That I was laying. I'm at a job, I'm walking around, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in high school, I'm in college, I'm living my life. But I was dead to Carm, and then I met Carm, and I became, wow, awake right away. Wow! <laughs> and there was a time in my life that my dad was a pastor, and he's preaching the gospel, and I'm saying, okay. You know, hurry up, let's go, let's go, Dad. Let's go. And then something happened. And I heard. I mean, I had always heard, but I wasn't hearing. And I really heard. Wow, that's... Huh. Must be the first time you ever said that. You said that 10,000 times. I just never heard it before. Because God is working. What's God doing in your life? Why, why are you here this morning? Why are you logged in on, on, on my 
because it's more than just trying to be good. These group that saw the miracle the day before, washed over, they, they, they had this encounter with Jesus, they're looking for some religious answers. But I think I've shown you from the scriptures, the answer's not in religion as we know religion. I do something, and then I can feel better about myself, and I get this little ticket so that I'm going to heaven when I die. No, it's not about religion. It's, a, it's about this, this vital, essential, life-giving relationship with the living God. Yeah, I, I got baptized, but not because I was trying to get something. I got baptized for the same reason I wear a wedding ring. And it says to people, I'm, I'm married to this woman, and I, I'm happily want to be married to this woman. And I got baptized, and it says to people, I'm not the old, the old person dead and buried, and I'm, I'm alive in Christ. We have ceremonies, we take communion, not because I'm trying to get grace, because I've already received grace, and this reminds me, this, rem this do in remembrance of me. For by grace are you saved, your faith is not of yourself, it is God's gift. And if he's showing you that gift these days, ask questions. But don't deceive yourself into thinking that you will academically figure out all that's involved here. He is the creator, and I am the creation. So this is every wife's story and every husband's shame. You buy something, especially these days, everyone shopping online. You buy something, you buy a, a you know a, a something from IKEA. You buy something from somewhere else from Wayfair, and, and it comes in a box, and there's there's you know instructional manual with 13 different languages, and and, and step by step, this is what you have to do. And I, I, I look at it for 30 seconds and I toss it aside. I'm a man. I'm a man. I, I got a drill. I got a screwdriver. I got some pliers. I even got some sockets. I can do this. I can do this. And a day and a half later, I'm trying to find that instruction sheet that I ripped up in it because I'm in over my head. And that, that's funny because we're talking about a table, a closet, a, a, a thing. No, in our lives, we're talking about eternity. And we've taken the instructions and said, I got this. I'm religious. My mom's religious. Grandma's religious. I'm, you know, I, I got a little jammed up. I had some trouble in my life. There was a gun to my head, so I, I, now I'm going to be religious. Because I want to do better. I want to straighten up. And we, we mess with the instructions for a while. You know, take an online course, ask someone to go to church. But it gets too hard, and it's too complex, and, and then we start grumbling, like everyone in chapter 6. The Jews were grumbling. The disciples were grumbling. Even it gets down to the 12. And the answer is what he's been saying four and five times this whole chapter. I... I am your hope. I am your solution. You need me. Not just a token of me on Sunday. Not just a little fraction of me, a little ceremony. No, this is a vital relationship. You need me. Eat me, drink me, embrace me. 
be enveloped by me, need me. That's the call of the gospel. This is the preaching of Jesus. After this, verse 66, many turned away and walked no longer. He says to the twelve, you guys want to quit too? And he said, you're crazy, I'm out. Okay. These days, people leave church because it's not fun anymore. Or that church puts on a better show than this church. They sing louder, they sing more, they preach less. So, I'm, I'm, that's religion. And churches have become Burger King and McDonald's. And who can give the better burger at a cheaper price and get you in and out quicker? <laughs> and, and that's become church. And all the while, Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. You need me. Because without me, you're going to be blind and deaf and clueless. But I'm calling you. I'm drawing you. Don't push me off. Because I won't be calling you forever. So he says to the disciples in verse 66, you guys want to quit too? And notice they don't say, no, we're right here. We got all, we understand perfectly everything you just said. They do not say that. They, they don't say that at all. Peter said, Lord, 68, my translation, we, we got nowhere else to go. Yeah. And if we know anything, we don't know, we know this. We don't understand everything you say, but we know this, that you have eternal life. That we know. And we're sticking with you. I'm not saying that these guys were stupid. They were not stupid. But they didn't understand everything. Nor do I. And at that point you say, well, what are we paying you for? <laughs> you're not paying because I know everything. But I know enough to help you understand it's not all here. It's a little bit here. It's a whole lot here. got nowhere else to go. We're convinced you're the one. You have eternal life. We have believed that you're the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says, you're right, Peter. You're right. I am. Your, your assessment is right. But just to show you how pervasive this problem is, just to show you how easy it is to deceive yourself and, and settle for superficial academic answers, I'm telling you right now, and at this point, and we are in John chapter 6, this is the very end of his second year, the very beginning of the third year of Jesus' public ministry. So two-thirds of his public ministry is already over. He says to them, Simon Peter is not one of us. I'm sorry, not Simon Peter, Judas. Judas is not one of us. He was a devil from the beginning. But I chose him to make this point. There's always going to be some who use the same language and wear the same clothes and, and have the same pretty much values, but they've got the secret life going on. They've never turned to me. They were trying to be Christian in the power of their flesh. Remember the verse we read? We have a lot of verses in chapter 6. Here's this one. The Spirit gives life, the flesh is of no help at all. 
like Jesus, I'm the bread of life. Okay, give us that bread. Well, it's not bread like you know bread. And when he began to explain, ah, oh, you're crazy. Our lives are filled with those kind of inabilities. Philip didn't know how to feed the crowd. And the apostles didn't know how to protect themselves from the storm. And we don't know how to get ourselves into heaven. And we try, and we try, and we try, and we try, and we try. And this whole chapter said, it's not about what you can do. It's what I can do for and to you. I have to make you alive. And if Jesus raises me from the dead, I will pop out of the casket and kiss on my sheen everybody. <laughs> That's what it would take. It would take a miracle of God to resurrect that dead body. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, it wasn't because I made a very calculated and, and, and accurate, you know, academic decision. I put my faith in Jesus Christ because my dead spirit was quickened and made alive. And I said, oh my goodness, there is a God, it's Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. It's a miracle. This is not just, well, I used to be Amish and now I'm Baptist. Now I used to be dead. Now I'm alive. The blind man of Jesus healed. Is a, what, what happens? I, I, all I know is this. I was blind. Now I can see. And that's my story. I was dead. And now I'm alive. And I have ever been more alive than I have since my spiritual birth. This is the gospel. Jesus is the bread of life. And you don't just need to know about Jesus. You need to take a big bite out of Jesus. You know what I mean spiritually? This is the hope of the ages. The printed notes at the very bottom. You see a little statement there from John chapter 15. Jesus, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. But without me, without me, without me, what's it say? Say it out loud with me. You can do nothing. Well, that's kind of humiliating. Then take your humiliation and go kneel at the cross and say, God, I admit, I can't work my way into heaven. I can keep a job, I can take care of my family, but I can't work my way into heaven. Without you, I can't do that. And I'm here in my humiliation and sin saying, all I can do is bring my failure. I can bring my rebellion. I can, I can bring my hopelessness. I can bring all of that to you and say, God, please, in your mercy, yeah. give me life. And he quickens our dead spirits. And they become alive to God. And all of a sudden the Bible starts to make sense. Not all at once, but progressively. Oh my goodness, I'm starting to understand what I could never understand before. I used to think it was crazy, but I was grumbling like all the people in chapter 6. Now I'm not grumbling. Give me more. Tell me more. Because I'm alive to that which I used to be dead to. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than repeating a prayer. It's more than a ceremony. It's being raised from the dead. Yeah. That's the power of the cross. And that's what we sing about before we go home this morning. That's power of the cross. Only the cross can do that for you. Stay with me.